Now we'll stand and we'll read from the Bible. Romans 11. And I read from the NIV today for our a small moment of understanding. Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, just five verses. Paul wrote, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself. A descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin, Paul writes. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. When did Elijah appeal? That's Mount Carmel. When the people would not affirm the Lord or their desire for God. And how he asked them, who will you serve? And the people were caught between two opinions and they answered not a word. How he appealed to God against Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets. That was true. They tore down your altars. That was true. And then he added this. I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to Elijah? You're not the only one. I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So too, Paul writes, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Amen. Now, Lord, we need your help for a moment. I pray that this morning, though that we come with some celebration and colors depicting the season that we would not lose this moment in your presence speak to your church Lord today to your people use me Lord to do that we give you great thanks and praise and I pray today that the hearts and the minds of the people would be captivated on the word and that their minds would not wonder and their spirits would be arrested by the scripture that's been read and by the word that will be preached give us confidence today and a secure knowledge that your truth endures forever and everybody said in Jesus name I think we need to just pause and worship the Lord for a moment so if you have your Bibles or notebooks in your hands or tablets put them down and lift up your hands and your voices and with your hands lifted up and your voices lifted up, cry, cry out to God and just tell Him, You are a great God and there's no God like you. And we stand in awe of you, Lord. The magnificence of your name and your power and your authority and your spirit, Lord. Come on, give God praise in this house. He come, he's come here for your praise. He's come here for your worship. clap your hands unto the Lord again pray praise him oh praise him praise him praise him Jesus blessed Savior he's
He's worthy to be praised. Come on, help me say. Say praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. I will praise Him. Jesus, blessed Savior. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. He's a great God. I thank you and you may be seated in Jesus' name. Last year, along the edge of the outer banks of the Dead Sea, last year, Another cave was found containing a remnant of biblical writing. It has been sent to the Hebrew University of Jerusalem both to be preserved and analyzed. It is the twelfth such cave containing biblical manuscripts to be found over the many decades. It first began when a young shepherd boy named Muhammad Abdib, his cousin Juma Muhammad, and Khalil Musa. All of them were tending flocks, and as boys do, they were throwing rocks, pebbles, stones. One of the rocks found its way into a cave, and a piece of pottery broke. It caught their attention. It was 1947. And from those moments, when they pulled out the pottery, scientists discovered several other caves where clay jars were sealed and containing, and there were writings in them contained in Hebrew, mostly written in Hebrew, that mirror our own King James Bible. The most profound and complete writing that they found was that of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which was discovered in Qumran in 1947. Its 54 columns contains all 66 chapters of the Hebrew version, which is our own biblical account. It dates from about 125 BCE and is one of the oldest Dead Sea Scrolls, some 1,000 years old. It's older than all the other manuscripts in the Hebrew Bible, and it matches up exactly with what we read in the book of Isaiah today. Preserved. Kept. From those early Bible times, even until now, God has preserved His Word. John is writing on the Isle of Patmos. He is the oldest and last survivor of both biblical writers and of the disciples. He writes in harmony with all the other writers, specifically Daniel. Those early times after the first century were challenging moments in the lives of people who believed in Jesus. It seemed like Christianity would be snuffed out. Nero tried his best to burn them out. Though Paul will pay tribute to the saints living under the roof of the man they called the beast because he was so wicked, so evil, so vile. Paul wrote in the book of Philippians 4.22, he said, 
All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household, because God will always have a remnant. The Middle Ages, sometimes called the Dark Ages, boasted of many afflictions of people, the torment, the great persecution with a capital G, capital P, of the which we never have seen or known in our lifetime. It was held under a ruthless man named Diocletian. Ten horrible years from A.D. 303 to A.D. 313. There was a remnant then who held on to the name of Jesus in baptism. People were still baptizing one another in the name of Jesus. Even under the watchful eye of the church in Rome. The church in Rome brought about infant baptisms and outlawed individual spiritual pursuits. It was a very dark day in the world. But God kept his word intact he will always have a remnant. I won't mention all the names. I have a list of names and dates and times. I won't mention all the names that fought against the many heresies spanning the 5th to the 15th century, lest we all drown in their descriptions. But suffice to say, if you read, you'll know that when the Great Awakening shook Europe, it spoke of baptisms of the Holy Spirit also. There was so much to overcome the Holy Roman Empire and the trail of blood of the Crusades that marked the path of all the lands known far and wide. There was, and I say in parentheses again as a title, the Great Schism and then the Inquisition and vain practices of the Iron Empire that crushed so many small congregations and churches along the way. They stomped them out like bugs, like ants. I hesitate to offer these historical accounts, but it seems... That most of us, many people have lost the sense of what it took for us to gather here today and hear the word and read it for yourselves. We barely can wrap our minds around what it took for all of us to get here right now today. Long before papal authority, that's the Pope, papal authority. Long before the papal authority dominated the minds of men. Before Lucas wrote his, Luther wrote his 59th thesis on the door of his Wittenberg church. Long before that, men and women were holding on to what we know as the Pentecostal experience found in Acts chapter 2. And while they did not call themselves by that name, they were believers of Peter's message and Paul's writings about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was and is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Before there was a diverse population of denominations, people believed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And they believed in Peter's message that he indeed had the keys that Jesus gave him to repent and to be baptized in Jesus' name and to be filled with the Holy Ghost which was the promise he preached that on the day of Pentecost they held on to that through persecution though some of them were tarred and burned alive though some of them were trodden underfoot of great horses and oxen though some of them were pulled apart some of them, many of them beaten God preserved his word and he preserved his church many of them that believed what you believe were deemed heretics some of them hanged, others burned at the stake, but God has had a remnant in every age and he did it by grace. God has preserved his truth. God is going to have a church and he will have a people. Even in the time before the flood, there may not have been many, maybe none. But the scripture tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Even though the whole population was against God, Noah found grace because God will have a remnant. Even if it's one, God can start with one. During the time of the judges, 
There were still faithful men like Gideon and Barak and Boaz. They lived by the law of the Lord. There were women like Hannah and Deborah and Ruth. During the reign of some of the most wicked kings, people held on to their faith and obedience to God. Ahab and Jezebel were ruthless, and yet Elijah stood against them. But even he thought he was alone until God spoke to him and said, I have 7,000 more just like you who have never worshipped Baal. God is going to have a remnant. God will preserve his word, and there will always be be a remnant even through trying times and pain and affliction and when others give up and turn away someone is going to stand perhaps we have a false perception of persecution because of such it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around what it means to be rebuffed for the cause of Christ and though I ponder if we have ever even known of any such trouble I still say that there will be some opposition. Just live a holy life today. There will be a pushback. Stand up for the name of Jesus. There will be a repulse. Some repudiation against this exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. I stand here to say that because even some of the people you're going to brush shoulders with in the next coming weeks will hate the name of Jesus and they will hate everything about God and they will despise your church and your way of life. But I stand here to say, don't be ugly and don't be mean, but it's time for you to stand up. That's not persecution. You've never seen persecution before. We've never seen persecution before. I've watched people wither in the face of the backslider scorn and before those who speak ill of our church and leadership they've withered never taken a stand so i cannot imagine what real persecution could do to the church and in comparison to most of history's most horrific scenes and times america has been almost completely insulated for the past 300 years plus it's hard for us to imagine having to give your life for your faith but that's the story of most of God's people throughout the ages of time maybe that's why Jude stood up and and would include these admonishing words to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints because God's going to have a church it might include us it might include our families it might include new life fellowship but he's going to have a church I want to tell you he's going to have a church Paul wrote of the church and said that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish he will have a church there will always have been somebody believing and teaching and building the church he's going to have a bride it could be you you could get in you could be part of it but you're going to have to stand up for truth hear me our affliction today is so far beyond persecution our affliction today is the comfortable life it's the days of plenty even the poorest in America has more they are wealthy compared to to the rest of the world and the rest of the world is wealthy compared to every other age that came before them we have no idea what people grappled with 500 years ago because it's so far from our minds or 600 or 700 years ago or even a couple hundred years ago because our idea of persecution is a flat tire our idea of trouble is that maybe we have some sickness in our body that's not trouble that's the natural course of living Persecution is not trouble in your body. 
That's the natural course of life and death. And God has appointed a place, a day for everyone to die. God's going to have a church. I met one of those remnants in 1991, I guess 28 years ago now. I can't believe it. I can still remember the moment, the day, the sun shining in the afternoon. I'm on the side of a small hill. We're walking up the hill. We're going to a dinner. My arm is around a 90-year-old plus man. His name was Brother Alexander. He was a preacher. Beside me is Tamara. She's... At the time, probably in her 60s, she's an interpreter. I'm in Russia. It's 1991, I'm in Russia. I'm six hours outside of Leningrad, our interpreter is telling me the story, his story. He's talking to her. She's telling me. Brother Alexander, he's 90. He spent 30 years of his life in jail for baptizing people in the name of Jesus in Russia. He believed and preached that the infilling of the Holy Ghost was always accompanied by the evidence of speaking with other tongues. He preached that. He wasn't part of any church denomination at all. He's by himself a preacher in Soviet Russia that believed that you must have been a part of the Russian Orthodox Church or you were an illegal. He led churches, congregations in barns and in fields and in caves and dug out shallows and abandoned buildings, Brother Alexander. He was in defiance so many times that he was beaten on a regular basis. His family members, to garnish wages and food and pleasantries from the KGB, would turn him in and tell them where they were going to meet. Until Brother Alexander had to tell his congregation, we're going to have church next week, but I can't tell you the day, the time, or the place. Go home and pray about it. Phenomenally, his congregation would turn up, show up at the same location on the same day at the same time. Can you imagine what would happen this next year if I said to everybody, we're not going to worship here in this building, but you go home and you pray, and God's going to show you where we're going to meet, what time we're going to meet, and what day we're going to meet. Oh no. That's not where we are today. I'll tell you where we are today. We want it comfortable. We want it nice. We want to have it all good. We want everything to be planned. We need to know the time is going to start and the time is going to end. But I'm going to tell you, a remnant lasted through days and nights of darkness and bleakness of persecution when they had nothing and they brought what we have here to us right now today. I'm walking up that hill, that small hill, my hands on his back. And as my custom is, I don't know why, it's just been a long time, I'm rubbing his back. I'm fixing his collar. Even people who come to the altar here. I pray that you'd be healed, but sometimes I do fix your tie. So just in case you're not healed, at least you look good when you get back to your seat. I'll lay hands on your head, but I'm going to get the lint off your shoulder. I rubbed his back. It felt like rubbing my hand against gravel, bones that were broken that never healed properly. 
But in Russia for decades, there was a remnant. I don't know who taught him or how many he led to repentance and baptism, but he spoke that he baptized mostly in the shallows of the river and broke up ice in the streams and baptized and buried people in the name of Jesus in the frigid cold waters of Russia. And when we arrived in Boxenogorsk, there was already born-again believers in that little town six hours outside of a major city. There were tongue-talkers, no less, even though they, were, they told us that we were the first Americans ever to set foot in their town. I stand here to tell you that God's going to have a remnant, and it's been around for a long time. It's held by grace. He will not leave himself without a witness. And I hope you get in the bride, but if you're not going to get in the bride, he's not cutting off Israel, and he's going to bring in the Gentile race. And if we're going to be the church is going to be because we want to be the church hear me up to this point we've had a convenient but convenience is not going to last forever so i stand here today to tell everybody thank god for christmas and all the good times but if it all goes south you've got to stand up for truth and know god's going to have a church There's always been a witness. That's why Naaman was healed. He was the captain of the host of Syria. The scripture calls him a great man with his master, and I quote, an honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. But Naaman had a disease which could not be cured. He was a leper, and it was in his own house that he found healing. In the marching orders, when the companies went out and came back in, the soldiers stole and brought a captive girl, a little maid, the Bible says, from the land of Israel. She was a captive, and she was the handmaid to his wife. And I'm sorry to bypass her wonderful attitude that she was a captain, a captive, and still a witness. I'm sorry that I have to bypass it. That she had struggled. And was stolen from her mother and father's house. And was made to work as a slave girl. But was still a witness. And yet. The Bible tells us that this captive Israelite. Saw the condition. Of the Syrian captain. Her master. And said to his wife. Would God my Lord. Were with the prophet that's in Samaria. For he would heal him of his leprosy. There was a witness in the house of a Syrian pointing back to Israel. And it leads me to the darkest days of the same land. And the book of Malachi was finally closed and our Bible closes. Israel had fallen into gross darkness. God warned them to offer pure sacrifices to him. But over the years they offered what was corrupted. The lambs were to be their best. But they offered blinded lambs and lame lambs and diseased lambs. Lambs whose legs had been broken and never healed property. False idols occupied the landscape. Polluted offerings and false priests. Prophets paid to speak pleasantries. They stole from God, so says Malachi. In fact, God said, you've stolen from me. And they said, what did we steal from you? And the Lord said, you stole your tithes and your offerings. A judgment of divine silence was imminent. And before God closed up the voice of heaven, he said, and I quote, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide in the coming of his day? And who shall stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Powerful. 
Both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were written in the Old Testament record. John the Baptist, the messenger, who shall prepare the way. That's what Malachi wrote. It's exactly what Mark wrote. It's written, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John was baptizing, he said. And not only John, but Jesus the Messiah. All of it was written, but to so many it was hidden. It was out there, but it was hidden. And maybe because knowledge, hear me now, is only as good as those who pursue it. Hidden truth serves no purpose. It's buried beneath the conflicts of life. And maybe today, truth hidden between convenience and pleasure. Prophecies which are not rehearsed. Scriptures left unread. unread. Promises without an expedient recipient. All of it seems empty and undone. 400 years of silence follows the Old Testament's last book and the New Testament's first book. Four centuries of routine. Conquests and defeats in the life of Israel. And finally we find the people living under the heavy hand of yet a Roman empire, a government. Rome will allow them to worship in their own way. It was Rome's way of controlling their captives by allowing them temples and places of worship. But Rome will demand taxes and deference to the Roman law. Jerusalem itself was a spiritual dark place. Herod has enlarged the temple area only to boast of himself. Rome has conscripted Jewish men to be their indigenous tax collectors. The people hated the tax collectors. The Pharisees have enlarged their religious territory over the common man. And God and the law of Moses has become a tool to manage and control the lives of people. All of it leads me to the writing told by a doctor to his close friend Theophilus. Luke, the physician, writes, and I quote, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And I read from the King James now. They were in this place, going through the routine Living life, even though they were taxed heavily. Even though they had no real freedom. They had developed a lifestyle. Jesus is born. He is a light in a dark world. Few know who he is. The temple is going about their business. Men are making money. They have perverted the holy things of God. Rome is controlling, but the Pharisees are controlling also. But God will always have a remnant. It's when Joseph and Mary bring the baby Jesus to the temple. To bless him. To have him prayed over with the other many children that will be blessed. And I read from Luke 2.25. When they arrived, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He's going to live 
past his time until the Messiah is presented. He's the only man left in the temple. Though there is a precious elderly woman, Anna, who will join him in a moment. Verse 27, And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he's not the only one. Something about Jesus changed Simeon forever. And he took that baby in his arms and blessed God. Here's the remnant. Hear the voice of the remnant. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant die in peace. According to your word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. Watch the prophecy now. A light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The Gentiles and Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken. A remnant. You see, a remnant is different than other people. They recognize the presence of God. They can look at a hundred children. They can look at all the routine. But when he walks in, they know something's different about you. The remnant comes in prayer and consecration. The remnant has a heart solely and wholly devoted to God. The remnant is not divided. They don't think that they can be part of the world and part of the church at the same time. The remnant is not burdened down with all the cares of this world. Instead, their whole lives are focused on the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. The remnant. The remnant. Everybody wants to be a part of the church. I just want you to know you might be in the building, but that doesn't make you part of the church. I hope you're in the church. You can be in the building, but I want you to be in the church. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you about the remnant. It's going to last a long, long time, and there will always be somebody. I spoke to some ladies at a at a congregation. I won't tell you where it's at, but they meet on a regular basis. In their church where they're at today, no one is allowed to speak in other tongues. It has been ruled from the pulpit. Don't ever do that here. But there is a group of ladies that meet every week and they have met now for over 10 years meeting in the prayer room. They find themselves in the prayer room and they actively speak with other tongues and pray that God will break out in their service. They're still praying. What you do not know is there are churches, even in our county, that's praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. People... They don't call themselves Pentecostal. They don't know about the apostolic faith, but they've been praying that God would pour out His Spirit in their congregations. You think that maybe we are the only place, but we are not the only place, and we have not monopolized the power of the Holy Ghost. All across America and all across the world, there is a remnant in every society, in every country, in Europe and in Uruguay and in Madagascar. They're having a revival today. Ethiopia has thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that believe just like you and I dare say that there's a congregation of that old brother Alexander still wandering around Russia you may never see him or hear about him but they are apostolic Pentecostal just like you there is a remnant everywhere around the world 
And I know that because the book of Joel says it. He's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. Everybody. Because God is no respecter of persons. And I rise to say there's going to be a revival everywhere in the world. It can be here if you want it to be here. He's preserved his book. He's preserved his man. He's preserved his truth. And you've got to know that God's word is true. Hey man, I want you to know this. Because <laughs> I know what's about to happen and I know it every year it's about to happen. We have this idea of entitlement. In fact, entitlement has afflicted our nation. Do you know that we have an uh, entitlement nation? A mentality of entitlement. You don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve heaven. You didn't do anything to obtain it. You could not be good enough. By grace you're saved. Not of yourselves. Not of any man. Not of works lest any man should boast. I can't. I didn't earn it. I couldn't, I couldn't build my own salvation because only one could die on the cross and his name is Jesus. My blood can't heal me or save me but the blood of the lamb. He was a lamb without spot. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Even this place here today. There was a remnant praying for us. Many of which we don't even know their names. They're lost in the annals of time. Men and women, we barely can scrape the service and trying to recover. And I've sat with multiple of our seniors here in our church to try to recover. Just a single name keeps popping up, Ava. Just a single name. Just a single word, somebody loving God and praying for a Holy Ghost revival here in this Vigo County. When all of this was farmland, wouldn't you love to have bought it back then? When it was all just farmland, people were praying that God would send us a Holy Ghost revival. I would say, even in the middle of a church where all the functions are going on, the church can get lulled into entitlement concepts, hear me. But even in the church, there's got to be a remnant, somebody who loves the Word of God. Somebody who's going to pray and fast. Somebody who's going to pray that people would be saved. There's got to be a remnant in the church. Because the church can grow up and think... That everything that's happening should appease them. And I would use the words of one of our deceased presidents who was murdered viciously when he stood up and said, though the words might have been borrowed, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I would like to say that to all the people, don't always ask what the church can do for you, but you ought to ask and say, what can I do for the church? And don't always ask what God can do for you. He's already done enough for you. You should ask, Lord, what can I give back to you? I'm talking about a remnant. Let me tell you about a remnant. A remnant that will sacrifice their very lives and their loves and their passion to be a part of the bride of Christ. A remnant who will say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to live right. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray when no one else is praying. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be upright. I'm going to be righteous. A remnant. Trying to remember the story that my sister told me Dana's here today but I she could probably tell it better but I dare not give her the microphone she may want an honorarium I believe the story is that my grandmother Annie Costa Giovanni is a little girl 
And my great-grandmother is walking down the road with her. They're devout Catholics at the time. My grandmother's a little girl. And they're passing by a house where people are on the front porch worshiping. They're, they're born again. I don't know what you would call them. We are really hung up on names. You know that we're really hung up on names. You know how hung up on names we are, right? I get my hair cut the other day and start talking about our church. Do you all talk about the church? In a good way? <laughs> oh, we have, we have great service. Girl next to me said, well, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, that's good. But I'll tell you what, you love the music. person on that side said, they told me what they were. I said, yep. I tell you what, you, you, you have children though, right? Oh yeah, you love them. We get hung up on a lot of names. I'm going to tell you, a name is not going to save you. Did you know a name's not going to save you? I don't care what you call yourself, it's not going to save you. I will show you what's going to save you. It's the word of God that's going to save you. You got you to get in the book. Am I going too long today? We don't even have church tonight. I know we've got some bladder problems going on. I can, I can tell you that after the hundred people came back and forth. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to preach. I don't know if this is a Christmas sermon. I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell you what. People, feel, you might think you're alone. You're not alone. Just remember, when the Lord comes back, you want to recognize Him. And He wants to recognize you. Listen, if you ever get a hold of it, you're going to know where the presence of God is in a place. Do you know I've been in a mall with thousands of people, but somebody caught my spirit, someone caught my attention, and I had to go over to them and say, there's something about you. And they looked at me and they said, I know who you are. I couldn't pick them out. I said, who are you? And they told me who they were. And just as I had suspected, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Hear me, when a remnant is in the house, they recognize who is there. I don't know how many babies that Simeon had dedicated, how many mothers and fathers had walked through the temple, how long he had waited, but God gave him a promise. You're not going to die until you see the consolation of Israel. And one after another, after another, Jewish mothers and fathers, and Joseph and Mary did not look any different, and Jesus didn't look any different to everybody else, but the remnant stood up and said, oh, there's something different now I can die, because finally I have found the Messiah the consolation of Israel I'm talking about the remnant today and he only lives by the grace of God and that's what the Lord said he said this to Elijah who was a powerful prophet but he was a manic depressant as most prophetic people are they are depressed most of their lives they called on fire one day and they're in a cave the next day <laughs> And I can name off three powerful men who had that problem. All of them are deceased. Elijah runs off the mountain. The Bible says he outran the chariot. Supernatural strength. He's outrunning the chariot. I don't even know how. Maybe he found a better way, a little path. Maybe it wasn't supernatural. Maybe he was just wise to know what rocks to avoid. He runs a distance. We know the distance was about... Five, six miles away. Because that's where he ended up. Just geographically speaking. 
And he hears a word from a wicked queen. And she says, this time tomorrow, you're going to die. And after fire falls from heaven, and it consumes the sacrifice, and it consumes the water, and licks up the dust, he falls into great fear. And he thinks he's the only one left. Let me just tell you something, friend. You're not the only one praying midnight prayers. You're not the only one fighting for truth. You're not the only one who's gone through trouble. You're not the only one whose family has rejected you. You're not the only one who's gone down the path you're on right now. It's a well-worn path. Hear me. You're not the only one who's lost a son or a daughter in their young ages. You're not the only one who's gone through horrible sicknesses, pain, trouble, no money, lost everything, and still faithful to God. You're not the only one. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And even in this house, there are witnesses. Hear me. So you've got to be part of the remnant to say, I might be alone in my endeavor but I've got to hold on to my faith and recognize finally the Lord comes to a prayerful prophet and he says I'm the only one left everybody else is gone I'm the only one who's been standing up for you God Thank God. Elijah and my mom. My dad's preaching to the pulpit. My mom's in the front pew. Dad's struggling a little bit, you know. People are looking at him. She's rocking back and forth. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Bill. Come on, Jesus. Come on. How many times have I heard? A thousand times. Come on, Jesus. One time my mom's walking through the house. She says, oh, Lord, I need you. With people, these people. Lord, I'm carrying a burden. I can't carry it all by myself, Lord. As if, you know, he doesn't do anything. But thank God mom has, God has mom. That's why she's got her license plate. God's our in in case he gets sick. We take no chances in our house. She's a nurse. God's our in. God's personal nurse. Driving in an old red Camry. Walking around, driving around. Prophet says, I'm the only one left. Are you the only one in the youth group living for God? The only one not, not watching things and not saying things you shouldn't say? Are you the only one left? You're the only one who's decided that you're going to wait for marriage? Are you the only one? Didn't take up smoking and decided, yes, even the vaping is wrong. Are you the only one? Everyone else is doing it. You're the only one. You feel ostracized. You're the only one decided I'm not going to cheat on my wife and I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to talk bad about people. You're the only one. I'm going to tell you there's a lot more people. But if you are the only one, just remember that everyone that was the same age as Jesus Christ was killed. He was the only boy in his class. Because all the two-year-olds were murdered by Herod in the whole land. And Jesus grew up as the oldest guy in the class. He had no peers. Let me tell you about the remnant. It'd be better to be a part of the remnant with one than be a part of the refuse with hope. It'd be better for you to stand up for truth and say, I'm going to stand up for what's right and holy because when the day comes when you need to recognize the Lord, you'll see him for who he is.
I'm praying today for our church. I'm praying for strength in the Holy Ghost. I pray for people to have courage and a boldness this year. I'm praying for families and marriages to be strong and secure, homes. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? It's time for you to be in the bride. It's time for you to be just not a part of new life, but a part of the church. This is the moment now. Here's the moment. You stand, we're standing in a, a very odd moment in life. and In fact, even in our country's history, we're standing in an odd time. Come help me now. The Bible says this about our day. Gives us a couple of indications. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And the Bible says that, that there will come a day when good will be called evil and evil will be called good. Watch this. Good will be called evil. And the evil things not only will be accepted, but they're, they're going to be applauded and lauded. They're going to be cherished and lifted up. I would even say it's happened very quickly in our own country. That in just the last 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, the things that we, we thought appalled us has now become our hero. And, and that means that if you're going to be saved, you've got to be in the bride of Jesus Christ and part of the remnant. Amen. Ah. Just right now, Lord, help us. I'm praying for the church today. I'm praying for the church today. Help us to see the consolation of Israel in this own house, in our own house, Lord. Uh, in the name of Jesus, if you'd like to stand with me, just stand and pray that the Lord would help us. Stand and pray that the Lord would, would help us to recognize a spiritual sight. I know you're going to have a church, Lord. I've got to be a part of it. I want you just to pray right where you're standing. I want you just to open up your heart. Pray right where you're standing. Help us, Father. We need your help right now. Take a little time here. You've got plenty of time. Take a little time and pray for your family, for your life, for your strength, Lord. Pray that you'll be able to recognize the Spirit. When the Spirit moves, pray that you'll be able to recognize the Spirit. Pray against all of the, all the things that cloud your mind and your heart, your brain. I'm reaching now for the church here today. I'm reaching for the body of Jesus Christ. 